progressive Democrats. Please be aware, you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. All right, eight minutes after 10 o'clock, we continue now in hour number two. We're going to forego the Reagan Open, so we have a few minutes more with our good friend Peter Kersenow, who joins us for the Kersenow Report on steroids. Peter Kersenow, of course, does the minute-long Kersenow Report you hear on AM 1420. The answer, in addition to writing for National Review, he is a best-selling author. He is also, of course, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights and of the now-defunct 1776 Presidential Commission. Peter, good morning, my friend. How are you? Bob, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm a little, I'm still disturbed that the Browns didn't draft me, but um, <laughs> and they haven't reached out to me for a free agent signing. I don't I don't know what's going on there. Now I know they drafted uh, what's his name, Anthony Schwartz. I think he runs a four point two eight. That's okay. That's 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 a decent time. But uh, you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll challenge him. Well, yeah, I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. And if we tie a boulder to his back, you might even be able to beat him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's early, Pete. Don't give up yet. It's early. We're not even at the end. I think the rookie mini camps are just starting. They know you're anything but a rookie. They know you don't need any of this springtime work. I mean, That's with true. your wisdom and savvy from, you know, 60 plus years of, of knowing football, if you, you, can, you can roll in there on game day and just be ready to go. Nobody knows it the way you do, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't realize this, but Schwartz actually set the world youth record in the, uh, I guess, in the 100 meters. Uh, the guy's got some, he's got some quicks about him. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him stretch the field along with Odell Beckham. It should be interesting. Oh, you're giving away a little something here, Pete. You're, uh, you're ready to forgive and forget, huh? Oh, no. No, not at all. They better not be kneeling. The minute they even think about kneeling, I'm gone. Okay. Not happening. In fact, it, it as I've said before, uh, I'm a little dispirited. I mean, it's not. I used to wait for the beginning of football season with bated breath. Not anymore. You know, I, I may miss a few games, and if I hear something might be going on that's pretty good, I may tune in. But the minute they look like they may be beginning to kneel, if they show any disrespect to the flag or country, forget it. I'm done. All right, that's fair enough. I, I, that's what I want to hear. It, it's going to take more than just non-kneeling for me. It's going to be. A, it's going to have to be an end to the wokeness in the commercials and in the NFL previews and promos that they do, uh, because they're still doing it. They're still doing social yeah. justice. This and uh, it's all the stuff that we're fighting in our schools. It's all the stuff we're fighting in the workplace. And quite frankly, I don't want it in my sports. And if I see any of it, kneeling or no kneeling, I'm just done. That's the reason I haven't watched a minute of the NBA, and uh, I haven't watched any baseball either. So uh, what's I, the NBA? It's up to them. A good question. That's a very good question. That's how I feel about it, too. All right, Peter Kersenow, let's dive into the news of the day. Um, Let's start first with the economy. You know, I'm watching... uh a number of different uh, uh, analysts, economists who know much more about the way things go in the economy than I do. But, uh, you know, it, they all seem to be unified on one thing, that when you print money like it's free, uh, you devalue it and you are responsible for massive inflation. We are seeing Carter 2.0 in terms of the inflation rate that we have just begun. And that's based on the $6 trillion that have just been earmarked for uh, expenditures that haven't even been done yet, and now they are targeting another $4 trillion as well. So we're looking at a potential $10 trillion tax and spend uh, economy being pushed by the Biden administration. We're watching an economy that has 760,000 uh, workers available that uh, that do not have jobs, that have uh, that have filed uh, uh, for you know claims, and we've got 
so tons of jobs open is what I'm trying to say, and very few people willing to take them because they're being paid to stay at home by the unemployment insurance uh, supplemental that goes into September and may continue past that. Pete, I'm just looking. Like I said, I'm no economist. I'm no Larry Kudlow uh, or uh, or Charles Payne, but I can read a few things, and I can see that we are in a road to hell, and the only way out of this spending hell that they have put us on is to tax us to death. And they'll continue to say, ah, but not middle-class America. This is only going to be tax increases on those making $400,000 a year or more. But, Peter Kirsten, now you and I know that when you tax the rich, every one of us pays the price. Right. And that's a good summation. In addition to that, inflation is, in effect, a tax. I don't care if it's imposed by the federal government, but it is the consequence, the natural consequence of this insane policy that we're seeing. It's insane from our standpoint, from the standpoint of 95% of Americans. It's not insane from the standpoint of the National Democratic Party or the uh, radical progressives. This is precisely what they want to do. We are fastly transforming into a socialist country. Uh, There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's the mechanism that we're seeing the Democrats employ to reorder our economy. We have millions of people who are unemployed and have no problem remaining unemployed because they're being paid by the federal government. It makes more sense to sit at home and watch Oprah, or if she's still on, I don't know what what who's on in in the afternoons, but to to just stay at home than it does to actually go out and work and earn a living. To, to develop skills, to develop work habits, uh, this is going to have a very, it's already having a bad conclusion, but it's going to have a, in the future, a devastating effect. I'm not going to make any predictions, uh, but if you take a look at what happened in the late 70s, early 80s, because of the um, Jimmy Carter economy, where you had stagflation, people may, rem- a lot of people still remember that, but most people uh, never even experienced it, don't remember it. Uh, those were really bad times, economic times. I remember purchasing my house with a 15.5% interest rate. Think about that, 15.5%. It was, it was incredible what was going on back then, and we're laying the groundwork. By we, I mean the Biden administration, the Democrats, and the Wokarati are laying the groundwork for an economy that's even more perilous than that one, where you've got inflation, Um, stoked in part because of artificial shortages imposed by this administration in fuel and goods. It's it's an amazing thing that we're watching. And what's most amazing is at least in the 70s and early 80s, you had a biased media, but it wasn't completely um, probdized. It wasn't completely in the tank. And you and I probably don't spend a whole lot of time watching the mainstream media, but I, I take a peek at it. And you don't even have to spend a whole lot of time watching it because it's ubiquitous. But we see what they're doing, and they're doing nothing. They're not reporting about certain things. They simply act as if all of these things don't exist. And when it does exist, when they do report about it, they, they flat out, and you and I have talk, talked about this. I've talked to a number of individuals who concur They flat out lie about it. And by lie, I mean they're not simply spreading falsehoods uh, inadvertently because of mistakes or bad reporting. With malice of forethought, they're trying to mislead the American people. We have somebody who, in the first few months of office, 
is vying for the title of the worst president in history. And you look at not just what's happening in the economy, but what the, the portentous developments right over the horizon may be that are going to have an effect not just on the economy, but our freedoms and our security. You know, just take a look. It's hard to find this in the press, but if you see, if you look at uh, different journals that report about discrete issues such as uh, military preparedness, um, especially military preparedness and foreign policy and national security, we see that for the last couple of months, and I bet you didn't see this in mainstream media, the Iranians have been harassing us in the Strait of Hormuz, harassing our warships with impunity. They're not doing anything. Compound that with China overflying Taiwan on a regular basis, and just a couple of days ago warning Australia that they'd be nuked if they came in on the side of the United States in any kind of dispute with, with Taiwan or incursion mm-hmm. upon Taiwan. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're extending their navy throughout what used to be our sphere of influence in the Pacific. Russia's in the Ukraine. We have evidence, or there's some evidence, that the colonial pipeline shutdown was done by Russian actors, not the government, but understand, nothing of that magnitude could occur without the blessing of one Vladimir Putin. For four months, four, four years, we were treated to by the media, uh, uh, to this this constant barrage of how evil Vladimir Putin is because they try to associate him with Donald Trump and talk about Russia collusion. But now, silence from the media when we have clear evidence that the Russians have caused enormous damage to our, our economy in the short term by shutting down this colonial pipeline. Iran, we're working on another nuke deal with the greatest sponsor of world terrorism, again, while they're harassing our ships. All of this is a clear, it's a manifest demonstration of national security weakness that bad actors are going to take advantage of, and that has economic implications also. So all around, we're looking at bad news, and the media, eh, they're asleep at the switch, because it's fine with them as long as it's not Donald Trump. Well, yeah, that's very, very obvious. Um, Pete, you, you kind of morphed into a lot of geopolitics there, too. I want to go back just specifically to the economy part of this and the um, the inflation and the uh, uh, jobs report. They expected a million jobs uh, to be created in the month of April. Turned out to be 266,000. People are staying home. I don't want to condemn everybody, by the way, who is not going to work. I mean, it's not as if everyone is lazy. I, don't we have to? acknowledge the fact that for some people it's just reasonable if i can yeah. make x uh, dollars more staying home than i can you know the y dollars i can make going in to flip that burger push that broom or do whatever it is uh you know that they want me to do why would i go out of my way to to you know to take less money uh, you know, forget about the laziness factor. Why would I go in there and volunteer my time and take less money than I could get by staying home? And, um, uh, you know, at least until September, October, whenever they, they let this thing, you know, this expanded supplemental run out. So uh, do you think, Peter, that this incentivizing of people to stay home until employers offer them more money than they are making at home to come back is the, the kind of kind of artificial way of raising the minimum wage for years if you want somebody because they can't do it legislatively you know that's been proven but forcing employers to raise them just in order to get them off of unemployment that's 
one of the objectives. I don't think it's the principal objective, but I think that's one of the, the uh, sub-objectives, and it's the natural result of what we're talking about here. So um, I agree with you that a lot of people have made a calculated decision, especially in the context of coronavirus, where some people are, you know, are concerned about going back to work. Other people still have problems with respect to, you know, there, there's a, a dual aspect to this, if not more than that. And that is that you've got the teachers' unions, again, in league with and actually controlling, as we've seen what the Biden administration is doing, partnering with the CDC, shutting down schools. So you've got uh, parents who, you know, they've got child care issues. So it makes sense that if schools are shut down and they can't get child care, the kids are not in school, stay at home because you're getting subsidized by the federal government. Why not? It, what concerns a lot of us is the the effect on the economy overall, and especially the echo effect that's going to occur months down the road. But also, more importantly, I think, is people becoming acculturated to this kind of insolence. Not most people. I think most people are hardworking. Most people are making, you know, uh, rational economic decisions for themselves, and they'll return to work when the economic conditions and other conditions improve um, or make it make sense for them to do so. But let's face it, there's going to be a significant segment of Americans who are going to be acculturated to sitting at home and getting paid by the federal government. And the Democrats know this. They view this as a constituency that is already in existence or will be developing because for our entire lifetimes, we've known the Democratic Party to be the party that, you know, hands out goodies in order to get votes. That's what they do. Here, here's some money or here's this benefit, here's that benefit. And it hurts the intended beneficiaries, either in the short term or more likely in the long run. So I agree with you. I think that this is part of an attempt to kind of goose up the minimum wage. But I, I fully expect that they're going to introduce legislation that will go beyond $15 an hour mm -hmm. because what we're seeing right now is the, the, uh, the private sector already getting close to that in many regards in order to uh, secure more workers. Uh, so I think it's going to go beyond the $15 now that has been the argument for the last, say, five, six, seven years by the left. Um, you know, minimum wage, um, <laughs> you know, a wage, whether it's minimum or otherwise, presumes a job. And when you start pricing, remember, we are in competition with China, with Europe, with a lot of other places. When you start pricing the the um, goods and services uh, in such a fashion that it can't be competitive, you're going to get less of it. So there's going to be a, a kind of perfect storm, I think, down the road where we're pricing ourselves out of the market. Uh, we've got all kinds of structural problems with respect to inflation, high taxes. Uh, this is in, in, insane and inane. It is it, very well said. It is it is both of those things. Peter Kirsten now is with us on AM 1420. The answer. We'll take our time out here. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about elections. Chuck Schumer says that they are pushing forward with the For the People Act, which, of course, is H.R. 1. It has already passed the House. It would change elections in this country forever. It would literally do must to one-party rule forever. Can it pass? Will it pass? Who will get in the way? Personnel discusses next. They have 1420 Okay, 1026 now. We continue with Peter Kirsten. Now, Pete, I want you to listen to just a little bit of an update on where we are with the attempt to nationalize our elections. 
Republicans say the For the People Act would give the federal government too much power over local elections. GOP Senator Ted Cruz told Fox's Handy Democrats are trying to rig the game. Change the rules so they never lose again. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says the legislation is designed to strengthen democracy. Increase transparency in our campaign finance system and make it easier for all Americans to vote. The For the People Act would create automatic voter registration nationwide and require states to hold at least two weeks of early voting. All right, so Mitch McConnell says, Peter Kirsten, now that he will fight today uh, this, uh, this, this bill at the Rules Committee level, armed with a stack of amendments. Um, do you think that we are going to be subjected to one-party rule forever? Uh, and I ask that basically meaning, do you think this bill will pass? Because if it does, the Republicans literally never win a majority again, and the Republicans will never win the White House again. Go ahead. That's, that's exactly right. That's, those are the stakes. You've articulated it plainly and accurately. Uh, by the way, thanks very much for allowing me to guest host again. As I said before, it's a real lapse in judgment on your part. But oh, when, when, I did, when I did so, I had J. Christian Adams, who is my colleague on the Civil Rights Commission, but is arguably the, the premier election law expert in the country on. And we talked about H.R. 1, and he told us chapter and verse about, I mean, there's so many aspects of this that are extraordinary, and I mean that literally. It's, they are extraordinary, and it is a raw power grab. Some of the provisions are baffling in terms of their aggression toward the rule of law and democracy. Um, I don't think it will pass, but boy, we're close. And now, I think that most likely cinema and Manchin will not go along with this, and who knows, maybe even another Democrat. And I'm hopeful McConnell can bottle it up somehow by using some you know, legislative uh, uh, tricks or something uh, that he's got up his sleeve. But uh, this is something that is extremely serious because game over if this thing passes. And by that, I mean we have one-party government. We, we become the kind of place that we're, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to exaggerate, but the political options that we have will be, you know, about the same as you have in Venezuela. The, the Democrats are going for the whole enchilada here. Uh, they, they don't think that they may necessarily be able to get more states like Puerto Rico and D.C. That's a bridge too far, and also there are constitutional challenges to it. There are constitutional challenges to H.R. 1, which would take a while to go through, and we did so with J. Christian Adams. But to answer your question, Bob, I'm, I think it won't pass, but it is scary close. And that means that all of our listeners here need to get out there and contact your elected representatives and say no to H.R. 1. That simple. That simple. Also, uh, uh, well, it's good. Well, here's the thing, Pete. It's already passed the House. You know, our reps can't do anything now unless the Senate sends it back over to them now. It's just a matter of imploring, you know, the two, the two Ohio senators, which, you know, is, is, is essentially one. And, uh, I, I don't know that we can do much about this right now. It, it's going to be up to the, as you said, the people in, in, uh, you know, Manchin's state and cinema states and others because, you know, Brown's going to vote for it and Portman's going to vote against it. And here we sit. Yeah. I mean, it is that close. And there's, you know, just a one-vote margin there. We need to have, uh, I don't know what is going to do. She has been surprisingly moderate, in my estimation. Um, you know, I, I've talked to certain people from Arizona who still don't trust her, but there are more Democrats who are infuriated about her than there are Republicans who are skeptical about her. But the real nexus the real uh, uh, place where there may be an opportunity is with Manchin, 
Um, and the fact that West Virginia went overwhelmingly for Trump and is watching this closely. His constituents know what time it is with, with respect to this bill. So I am hopeful that Manchin doesn't vote for this, which means that it's dead in the water, but it's that close. So I think everybody needs to call anybody they know, anyone they know, who's going to be voting on this bill. I don't care if it's your senator. I don't care if it's the senator from West Virginia. I don't care who it is. Make Do this for democracy, for the viability, I'm not exaggerating, for the continued viability of the United States of America, which is under assault from so many different angles right now. Call anybody you can get your hands on that's in the Senate. Uh, as I mentioned to several groups with whom I've spoken over the years, and most recently Saturday at, at McFan, get that little index card with your contact information for your senators and place a call, send an email, send a letter. This is all hands-on-deck time. No question about it. Peter, let me get our time out for our news now. And by the way, thank you. I uh, I couldn't say enough about you on Wednesday last week after you guest hosted. I caught the first 45 minutes of it before I lost it and got into conversation on the drive up to Hillsdale. But uh, thank you. It was a tremendous show, as it always is, and I'm very honored to have you to sit in for me when uh, when I cannot be here. Kirsten, I'll Thanks continue. for the opportunity. Yes, sir. Kirsten, I'll continue right after this. Have a question for Bob? A comment? A complaint? Hit up the authority message line. Call 216-525-1806 and make your voice heard. That's 216-525-1806. Call the authority message line. All right, we continue now at 1037 on AM 1420. The answer I've got just a few minutes left with our, our good friend Peter Kirstenau and my uh, substitute slash villain host who did such a phenomenal job last Tuesday. Pete, I mentioned Republicans winning again, and I want to talk about the Republicans in general and Republican unity. Liz Cheney, as you know, has been just um, as, as loud and shrill of a critiquing voice of Donald Trump. Critiquing is wrong. Critical. Flat-out critical voice of Donald Trump since he was was president since he ran for president and now in his post-presidential time uh, and she is becoming such a pain in the rear for the party there is talk now of replacing her removing her from her position as the number three republican uh, in the congress do you believe that liz cheney should maybe be i don't know exorcised from the party that perhaps maybe she'll take a hint on her own and actually go ahead and and and, and uh you know caucus with democrats why not if uh if that's how she really feels about america first and the policies that continue to drive this party uh i think that liz cheney can remain a republican if she wishes but no way in the world can she be in leadership. And what she has done, in my estimation, you can have your own opinion on you know, Donald Trump or about the alleged insurrection or about a whole host of things. And you don't have to necessarily march in lockstep with what's perceived to be Republican orthodoxy. But you cannot be in leadership for the conservative party of the United States where you're criticizing the past president, from that party in such a way that is inexplicable in many respects. I don't understand her criticism, frankly, which can't be be supported by facts or rational argument. Uh, it's striking to me that we have, you know, thankfully, a small sliver of Republicans in the House and the Senate who will go along with the Democrat and media, but I repeat myself, talking points with respect to Trump 
and more importantly, Trump's supporters. One of the reasons I think, Bob, you and I agree that Trump was uh, successful is because he fought not just for himself, but he fought back in a way that we haven't seen previous Republicans do. And what a lot of other Republicans never understood, never got, was that, you know, that famous Trump meme where he's sitting there pointing outwards saying that, um, you know, they're, uh, they're really after you. I'm just in the way. Right. Previous Republicans never got that, and they would capitulate and leave the rest of us, we supporters, naked. You know, it, it was just so infuriating. This is one of the reasons why Trump became so popular and expanded the base. Regardless of that, there, there's a cohort of Republicans out there, and this has been the case for decades, but there's a group of them who seek to get strange new respect from Democrats and the media by, I repeat myself, which respect only lasts as long as they are useful, and then they're cast to the wind. They're doing the same thing with, they're going to do the same thing with Liz Cheney. They have no use for her whatsoever, and she, she can caucus with the Democrats as much as she wants to, and she'll find out that not one policy position that the Democrats hold are, is anywhere remotely as close to her alleged policy positions. But if she hates Donald Trump that much and she um, you know, goes along with the talking points of Democrats, she can't be the number three person in the House and the Republican side. An impossibility. And it's an insult to we conservatives that she, is, she will strike out at a Donald Trump but we don't hear the same kind of vehemence coming from Cheney or Kinzinger or, or some of these right. others out there who, oh, they, they luxuriate in attacking Donald Trump, but they're completely silent about the, the wreckage being visited upon the United States and the American people by Democrats. We're sick of that stuff. We are sick of this. And if she thinks that, you know, she's going to get strange new respect from the Washington Post, they will use her until such time as you know, she's no longer in Republican leadership and she's just a backbencher yeah, and her no voice is less that. important. Yeah, right. exactly right. Uh, Pete, but by I'm the way, sick FYI, of, and the, I think, latest, the latest from the AP is that Kevin McCarthy has set a vote for tomorrow, a Wednesday vote to remove Liz Cheney from her position in the, as the number three leader in the House, uh, House GOP, uh, saying that uh, he and his GOP colleagues need to make change or make a change rather. So, Here's, here's the question, though. Let me, let me read one more quote from McCarthy and then ask you a question about the speed. He said, if we are to succeed in stopping the radical democratic agenda from destroying our country, these internal conflicts need to be resolved so as to not detract from the efforts of our collective team. Having heard from so many of you in recent days, it's clear, clear we need to make a change. As such, you should anticipate a vote on recalling the conference chair this Wednesday. Now, the, the interesting thing about this, Pete, and the troubling thing for me is one of the things I like about being a Republican, such as I can call myself right now, I'm really more of a conservative who has to vote Republican to get in the primaries, but a lot of the Republican Party is not speaking for me at the moment. But one of the things I love about it is the diversity of thought. Um, you know, the Democrats you know, like to pile on Republicans and point out the, the lack of a, a large number of African-Americans in leadership or African-Americans in the Senate with Tim Scott being the only one. And they criticize the diversity of race and of, you know, other, other demographics. Um, 
But I love that in our party we have a diversity of thought, and we do challenge one another, and sometimes that does cause some splintering, but I think that's the best way to get to the right result, is to hear all sides, and the fact that we do have people who think differently. The Democrats, I think, are very, very one-sided. They're very, very lockstep. They're very you know, very reticent to criticize one another. They adhere to the Reagan 11th Commandment much more than the Republicans do. Democrats don't criticize Democrats pretty much ever, and because of that they're more effective so I, I, I don't even know what the question is except to say that I would never side with the Democrats but I almost I almost envy their willingness to stay united in their attempt to destroy the capitalist republic that we have um, more than the Republicans who are willing to splinter because they do have diversity of thought your thoughts yeah well you know I think it's inherent in the nature of the parties that you get this kind of lockstep approach, this Borg approach from the Democrats as opposed to Republicans, because we're a party of individuals. We're a party of free thinkers, uh, whereas they are the party of the collective. You know, uh, they have a hive mentality, which is very, very helpful and useful when doing the raw, you know, uh, political maneuvering. Uh, they because they're cohesive, whereas we have a greater tendency to have individuals who are, for lack of a better term, apostates. And and I agree with you. I like that about our party. And with respect to Liz Cheney, she's as I said, she's welcome to stay in the Republican Party. But you cannot be in leadership when what you're doing is providing ammunition to the other side like this and insulting the vast majority of your constituents. I I am I'd be shocked if Wyoming if there well. First of all, it requires a challenger. But if she has a challenger, I'd be very surprised if she doesn't get kicked out. And that's up to her constituents. That's right. But I agree with you. You know, I like the fact that I can go to lunch with a fellow Republican and engage in a number of policy arguments uh, in good faith, um, whereas the Democrats, it's all about, you know, staying in lockstep. It's It's got to be really frustrating in many respects for themselves, but it's all about power. We don't care about, look, we'd like to be left alone, frankly, and that was what the founding fathers wanted, just to be left alone to our own devices with, you know, a little bit of support from the government in terms of things that we can't do in terms of providing for the the mutual defense, et cetera, and, and law enforcement, but otherwise leave us to our own devices, whereas Democrats want to control every nook and cranny of your life. And, you know, it has downsides, but it has the big upside of giving them a distinct political advantage over Republicans. Think about the last time you, you ever heard of someone in the Democratic Party going, you know, the opposite way of the leadership. You hardly, I mean, they enforce the discipline in an extraordinary way. Nancy Pelosi, they come down with the gavel. This is one of the few times where I've seen that the Republicans have done the same thing. But again, this has to do with the fact, I believe, that you cannot have somebody who's the number three most powerful person in the Congress going off on a tangent here that completely at odds with where the rest of the Republican Party is. Real quick follow-up on that, Pete. Do you think this indicates that Donald Trump is still running this party? And I ask that because I don't know that I always got the sense when Ryan was was the speaker, and when McCarthy was the uh, was the uh, House Minority Leader, or that he still is, I don't know that I necessarily always got the belief that congressional leadership was in line with President Trump's thinking. Um, I felt like there were some times where I just, 
you know, I, I, I sensed a disconnect there. But now that he's gone, here's Ryan, or excuse me, here's McCarthy willing to boot Cheney from her leadership role over essentially just her criticism of Trump. So does, is that an indication that from McCarthy on through the leadership that, that Donald Trump is still running this party from, uh, from, from, from his days as a former president? Yeah, I don't know if he's running the party, but he is the soul of the party right now, without any question. You have got, whatever it is, an 84, I think it is, approval rating for former President Trump among the GOP base. That's overwhelming. There is an allegiance to Trump that we haven't seen since Reagan, and I would argue it's even a greater and closer allegiance than what Reagan had. And it's a political calculation on the part of the McCarthy's of the world. They know that if they go off the reservation, so to speak, with respect to you know whether or not they support Trump or Trumpism, that they're going to get a lot of blowback. So I think that this he's making a decision. It's not really a decision. He's forced to do this because of political imperatives. And I think the rest of Republican leadership is like that, too. If you listen closely to some of the Republican leadership before the election, when Trump was still in office, yeah, you had a lot of people who were taking little you know, snipes at, at uh, Trump. They, a lot of people were uh, chafing under Trumpism. You know, inside the Beltway, Republicans are not what Republicans are out here in, you know, the, the Midwest, out here in the hinterlands. Your average Republican has very little in common with the inside the Beltway crowd. Unfortunately, many Republicans, even after Trump, I mean, they still are swamp creatures. Uh, I can't tell you how often, and again, I'm, I'm not in Washington. I haven't been in Washington in a year because of the pandemic. I don't have any, you know, we don't have any on-site meetings of the Civil Rights Commission or any of the other commissions that uh, I've been involved in. But I get reports back from people who still live in, in the swamp, and based on my experience there, I can tell you, Trump was not a popular person among Republicans inside the Beltway. He really was not. He upset the apple cart. They had, you know, a nice little existence there, but then Trump insisted that they start doing some of the things that they used to pontificate about, but wouldn't dare take any action on. Trump was a hard taskmaster, and he forced them to do things that maybe they didn't want to do because they wanted to go along to get along. So, um, right. no, I think that, you know, this is not, they're not doing this out of love for Trump, in my estimation. I'm, I don't want to take, uh, uh, you know, a, a broad brush and paint every Republican like that. But a lot of the Republicans now that are rushing to get rid of Cheney, uh, they're doing so out of political expediency, not because they, they support Trump, like Trump, or even like his, his uh, you know, great unwashed supporters. Got it. Peter Kirsten, out terrific stuff. I, I was hoping to leave a little room here to ask you about critical race theory, only because today is the second day of the Board of Education, the Ohio State Board of Ed- Education meeting. In fact, it started at 9 o'clock. And um, uh, they're undertaking this, of course. They're, they have, they're using you and your primer on critical race theory, by the way, to kind of alert people as to what the, uh, uh, what the danger is. Uh, and I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Dan Reginald's lawsuit, but his lawsuit, of course, against the uh, State Board of Education is over their willingness to, not their willingness, their decision to silence all dissent on matters of race and critical race theory. Uh, but I want to just uh, kind of get a last word from you on this, uh, because when the school board meets, obviously, this is the time when we are supposed to be heard. People can watch it and listen to it, but um, which is available on the Ohio Channel, which is ohiochannel.org. But, Pete, they're not allowed to speak on it because the board has silenced it, at least pending that lawsuit. Any uh, quick thought on that? Yeah, the silencing is Soviet. 
It is Soviet. We should be outraged by this. You know, uh, this is this is not the way the American political system is supposed to operate. And I will tell you that critical race theory is one of the greatest threats that we currently face in the United States of America. You can have an argument as to whether it's critical race theory or the media or whomever it may be. But this is a time, again, where we have to man the ramparts. We've got so many threats in front of us from the, 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 the moderate moderately led Democratic Party that uh, it's, it's like, you know, uh, trying to you know whack a mole. It's it's it, this, but this is something that uh, I think we're starting to see some significant pushback. There are elections that are occurring throughout the country, as you've seen, where school boards are changing because parents have decided they don't want their kids being exposed to this stuff, being told that they're racist and oppressors. We're seeing some of this occurring among corporations. Coke went woke and then found out that they're about to go broke. So they did a 180. (laughs) Um, And then there are a whole host of others. So we're starting to see pushback because, again, the American people sense intuitive Intuitively, the danger posed by this inane and insane doctrine. It is poisonous, and we have to reject it at every level. Get out your index cards again and call down the State Board of Education and demand that we have hearings on critical race theory. And more importantly, demand rescission of Resolution 20, which was the camel's nose under the tent, to insert critical race theory into our schools. Peter Kirstenau laying it out as only he can. Be careful there, Kirstenau, by the way. When you do that, Coke went woke, and now they're about to go broke. You're very, very close to Dr. Seuss. You know he's been canceled. You're, 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 you're treading into, into some dangerous waters here, my friend. you got to watch yourself there. Peter Kirstenau, always a pleasure, and uh, thank you so much, my friend. We'll talk. Thanks, Bob. That's Kirstenau on AM 1420, The Answer. we got one short segment to go right after this. Okay, 1056, final segment. Let's get a call or two in before we're done. TJ in Cleveland. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, you know, Bob, this pipeline uh, hacking there. Yeah. You know, these libtards are going crazy on the East Coast because they got no gas. Uh, The price is going up. Now, a few months ago, their president closed down a pipeline, and they were giddy. You think they'd be real happy about this pipeline closing down. And you know what I say to them, instead of whining and complaining, go out today and buy your electric car, order some solar panels from the Chinese. <laughs> I mean, how can you close one down and you're happy and another one closes down and and it's a catastrophe? I, I just can't figure these people out. Well, you know, and, I mean, you're, you're right. It is the ultimate uh, hypocrisy. They literally cheered the closing of the XL pipeline despite warnings that, A, uh, 10,000 people would immediately be put out of work, and B, uh, it is going to make us energy dependent again when we cannot continue the construction of pipelines that continue our energy independence. Uh, it's going to cost us at the pump. It's going to cost us in every measurable way. Uh, and then to see this pipeline being shut down because of a because of a hacking of somewhere someone in Russia, for them to be act like this is a calamity in the end of the world, it is the ultimate in hypocrisy. But all it proves, TJ, is that they have no actual foundation to stand on to support their viewpoint. It is all about the narrative. And right now the 
Keystone XL pipeline, which was greenlit by Trump, the narrative was, is we must stop things that Trump did. This particular pipeline wasn't built by Trump, wasn't constructed under his watch or guidance, so therefore we can, we can fight to save this particular pipeline. It's all always about the narrative and about politics for the left. And one quick thing about Hamas. You know, Joe Biden just reinstituted aid to Palestine, uh, I think about $180 million. Now, they take our money, they hand it over to Hamas, and they attack Jerusalem. I mean, uh, you know, the hypocrites in this stuff are just too much. I mean, it, it, and one talking head I listened to last night, a liberal, uh, said the good news about this pipeline is the Biden administration is on top of it. Well, if that potato was on top of it, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, Well, you know, is the Biden administration on top of the southern border? He appointed his vice president with one of the biggest tasks a VP can be asked to do. Maintain national sovereignty. Solve the crisis at the border. 47 days and counting. She's still never been there. She's still never conducted a press conference explaining what her plans are there. All they've said is, and thank you, TJ, for the call. All they've said is she's going to visit the central or the uh, uh, triangle countries sometime this summer to see what the root cause of all these people wanting to leave there and come here is. That's not solving the problems at our border. So yeah, if Biden's administration administration is quote on top of anything, uh, just be prepared to have it topple over. That's all the time we've got. Thanks to Kirsten. Out. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.